Welcome to Islamic Life Coach School Podcast. Apply tools that you learn in this podcast and your life will be unrecognizably successful. Now your host, Dr. Kamal Akhtar. Hello, hello, hello everyone. Peace and blessings be upon all of you. Today we are going to talk about the emotion of desire. Desire in its purest form is your roadmap. Higher brain thoughts are pure desires, also known as your calling or aspirations. The Google defines desires as a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. Desire in the formula belongs in the feeling line. Desire is the feeling we have based on our thinking that leads to actions. In today's consumer economy, unfortunately, desire is almost universally translated as a carnal desire, something to acquire, purchase, or indulge in, and at times even at a cost that is above our financial resources like a 70-inch TV with a surround sound system, when we can't really afford one. That is a type of a desire, but a lower brain desire. A desire that feels compulsive, that you have an immediate need to satisfy. And if you fulfill that desire, your life is overall worse off than it was before. This is a false desire, from the lower brain. False desires are from a place of lack, scarcity, and they leave you with emotional pollution. That is not the type of desire I'm talking about here. The type of desire I'm talking about is the one that if you follow it, makes your life overall much better. I have said this before, every human being is born on fitrah. As Muslims, we believe that God has created us in His image, innately good. This pure, natural state is revealed to us by our higher brain, and it is felt in our body as an emotional state of a pure desire. As long as we are able to step out of the emotional pollution of carnal desires, What we want is heavily convoluted by social expectations, family pressures, and should be or have to or need to thoughts and sentences. Our desires, instead of becoming a North Star, a guide to our higher calling, become something to resist, something to avoid, and something to suppress. So at Islamic Life Coach School, I try to reset definitions that our mind provides us so we can slowly go through the journey of cognitive dissonance and make those definitions something that serve us. We break old belief systems and form new ones. Remember, you're allowed to think whatever serves you. You are allowed to believe whatever serves you. In this case, we are going to believe the definition of desire that serves us. Desire when followed in its purest form is a strong leader, a north star, a navigation system. Most of us are extremely efficient at ignoring our desires. Women are conditioned into believing that everyone else's priorities matter more than theirs. This starts happening at such a young age that when we reach a point in life where we can actually make our own decisions, we search for our desires and turn up blank. We don't even know what we want. I remember the exact moment this epiphany came to me. I was sitting in my therapist's office and he asked me, what do you want? And I started listing things that I wanted for my family, for my career. Then he asked in other words. He said, who are you and what is it that you want? Then I started identifying myself as a mother, as a wife, as a physician. I was not able to identify myself as anything else other than in relation to things outside of me. I was a mother because of my children. I was a wife because of my husband. I was a physician because of my degree. There was nothing I was able to list in that session that related to me only as an individual. And I was flabbergasted by this discovery. I spent many days afterwards trying to discover what is it that I wanted, what my true desires were. I kept asking my therapist, how would I know what I want? The answer was simple. Just keep listening to your desires. 
Just keep listening to the voice that tells you to do something for yourself. If you continue down this path, you will eventually discover who you are and what you want. Not to mention, during that period, I went through a lot of neural pathway changes. There was a lot of cognitive dissonance, and oh boy, that was uncomfortable. And I couldn't figure out why it was taking me so long. During this self-discovery process, I found out that I was never trained to listen to my own inner voice. So today, in spirit of discovering our own true desires, I'm going to talk about how to exactly find them. Women have an innate calling to nurture. It's a beautiful gift. But when this nurturing capacity is coupled with universal training to put others first, the message we receive overall is that there is no room or need to explore our own talents as long as you are meeting everyone else's needs. Because of this conditioning, most of us become extremely efficient at ignoring our desires, which results in a picture I described above. For me, this looked like a picture where I was sitting in my therapist's office in an utter inner state of chaos, losing my spirituality and drowning in shame, thinking there was something wrong with me for wanting something. And when asked by this said therapist, who are you and what do you want, I had no clue what the answer was. It was like being as clueless as when I walked into the wrong calculus class in college. (laughs) Yeah, that happened to me. I think it was advanced applied calculus for engineers because I had missed the first two classes of the semester. I was supposed to be in calculus one for (laughs) pre-med. So you can imagine my confusion when the professor started talking and I had no idea what he was saying. No long-term harm there because I discovered after five minutes of sitting in class that I was supposed to be in a different class. Phew, disaster averted. Because if that was the math I was going to take in pre-med, I was definitely going to fail. I was sweating bullets at the mere language. I couldn't understand a single thing. (laughs) This was the similar state of affairs when I was sitting in the therapist's office and he kept asking me, what do you want? And I kept drawing a blank. And I kept thinking to myself, I just told you, you goon, I want what is best for my family. Well, of course, I didn't say that out loud. And he was very patient with me. But I'm so incredibly thankful for that question that he asked. He kept asking me to explore what I want and I kept feeling extremely uncomfortable. When I truly attempted to answer that question is when this journey started for me. Prior to this, even though I was fulfilling everyone else's needs, I still had large amounts of guilt and shame. That was the first step I ever took towards this journey of self-exploration, which is so extremely fulfilling and rewarding. So if you feel like you have stepped into an applied mathematics calculus class when somebody asks you what is it that you want, just know that it is completely natural to have that confusion. Exploring your desires means that you're breaking years of conditioning, which can take some time. So it does take a lot of sacrifice to rear children, nurture family systems, and love others unconditionally. But how did it become normal that we can only do that only at the expense of our own selves? Why does it have to be only through self-sacrifice? Ask yourself that question. Attempt to break your previous thought patterns. All of these are thoughts, not facts. Why can't we nurture while honoring our desires? The answer is that we can. We were just never informed of that choice. I have a strong desire to read books. I have a strong desire to tickle my kids silly until we are all rolling on the floor laughing. I have an extremely strong desire to let the beach sand roll under my feet and give me a natural exfoliation. I have a strong desire to go for a walk in my backyard. When I put desires in this language, it does not seem so selfish, does it? All of these are my desires, and when followed with the right intentions, they serve as a guide. 
Desire is the language of your ruh, your spirit, the same ruh that connects us to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Following a desire does not mean that you have to give up nurturing others. It means that you nurture yourself as well. That is the biggest battle I've seen that women face personally and in my coaching work. So I want to invite you guys to be in cognitive dissonance with me. Change sentences in your mind that are telling you that desire is bad, my desire is harmful for my family, or following my desire means I'm ignoring my obligations as a caregiver. Change this narrative one thought at a time. I've seen this appear time and time again with women in my family, my mother, my grandmothers, my aunts, women in my neighborhood, woman after woman putting everyone else first. It is great if it worked for that generation, but it does not work for me. I will also argue that this paradigm does not work for this entire generation. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with questioning the status quo. Anyone that tries to feed you that you have to completely disappear and drown out your own voice is working from their own model. They're telling you what they think is the right perspective. You don't have to accept it. It might actually feel like that you have a compulsion to believe them, but you actually don't. You don't owe them anything. It becomes especially hard to question the status quo when the preaching is coming from another woman. I mean, they're an experienced woman in our life that we look up to. If they teach us this narrative, they must know what they're talking about, right? Well, not really. Take that information and apply your own experience and your own formula to it. You don't have to believe everything you've been told as a child, even if it was from another woman that you trusted. Ask yourself, is it true that my desire means something bad? Is it true that listening to my desires means that I'm hurting others? Is it true that self-sacrifice is the only way to provide care? My desire of drawing and pursuing my interest in art? My desire of painting? My desire of volunteering? My desire of having my closet in a neatly organized manner? My desire of swimming? My desire of sports? All of these are desires that you have the option to pursue. It takes a whole lot of goal adjustment to take care of other human beings. People call it self-sacrifice. I call it goal adjustment. Because it all depends on the language we feed ourselves. But be aware of how much you are willing and unwilling to do. That's the key here. Moving away and leaving my family after I got married. Taking time off to be with my children after each pregnancy. All of this for me required goal adjustments because I had a different picture in mind. I thought I'd be living close to my parents my whole life and would have an uninterrupted professional career. But when things changed, my priorities changed, my desire changed. When I was telling myself a story that I was doing this in the name of self-sacrifice because a woman is the one who has to do this to continue the peace of the family, I was in constant guilt and resentment. But when I found out that I actually chose to do this because I want a family and I want to care for them and I'm following my desire, my own desire, the whole dynamics changed. I was no longer in resentment. I was following my North Star. There are a lot of things that I did for others in the past that I completely dropped that when I think about it now, I could never do from a place of desire. I have no desire to stand in the kitchen and cook three meals a day. When I forced myself to think that this has to be my desire because that's what my family needs, I couldn't do it. It was just never true to me. I do meal prep weekly, 20 minutes of dinner prep that my kids help me with, and we eat dinner as a family. That is my true desire. They're old enough to help themselves to breakfast, and their dad helps them with lunch since he works from home. And it works out just fine for us. So again, the key here is that you're welcome to adjust your goals as long as you are true to what you really want, 
Why would you want to label it self-sacrifice? Every result depends on the language in our head. If we play out a model, it will look something like this. Circumstance. Two children thought, I'm sacrificing myself to nurture them. Feeling. Resentment or guilt or shame or some sort of anger. Action. Belittling ourselves. Not listening to our desires. Not questioning the status quo. Being in reactivity and stress. Result. You sacrifice yourself as a human, and not just for the sake of others, but now out of habit. The language of desires becomes lost to you. Now notice, in the thought line I said, I'm sacrificing myself to nurture others. If you're skeptical of this, that no one's going around telling themselves actively that I'm sacrificing myself, you're absolutely right. It actually sounds something like this. I should do this for my colleagues. I have to say yes to the extra tasks assigned even though I don't have time. I should throw a baby shower. I shouldn't spend the time of the afternoon with my girlfriend. So yeah, your lower brain is not presenting to you the sentence saying you're a sacrificial lamb. <laughs> it dresses it up in sentences that are so subconscious that we don't even know we're acting from them. No one is going around telling themselves I'm doing this because I don't care about myself. But that is the underlying premise. And like I said, the notion of self-sacrifice has been passed through generations. And it might have worked for women before us, but it does not work for the requirement of today's emotional intelligence. Today's Muslima needs to be emotionally intelligent to thrive at work and represent her faith if she wants to excel. Today's mother needs emotional intelligence and mental health to raise a strong next generation. If we continue to operate from models of resentment and anger, then we end up emotionally stunting our children, which is exactly the opposite of what we want. I'm going to give you a few examples now and I want you to picture this woman since this is a very dangerously common dynamic. Imagine a woman who is an extremely well-intended caregiver or mother who has never paid attention to her own desires and emotions. She unintentionally lived a life of resentment, anger, anxiety. I want you to picture this woman as I present the next examples to you. This woman ends up raising daughters that cannot protect themselves and become victims of society that are abusive to them. This abuse comes from the workplace or in personal relationships. And what else would you expect when these daughters have only seen self-sacrifice? That same woman I asked you to picture, in the name of self-sacrifice, ends up raising boys that are emotionally unavailable and stunted in their growth and codependent. These boys grow up to be men leading a household from a position of power, dominance, and a need of validation, rather than abundance, love, and generosity. Islam has assigned men to be a leader of the family unit. Without emotional intelligence, these men abuse their power and operate from entitlement. These are not the qualities that Islam intended for a leader. These men have not seen the strength of leading from the heart because they didn't have a mother who was in touch with her own desires. That was supposed to be their role model. These same women in the name of self-sacrifice end up creating unhealthy outlets for this emotional energy which can lead to depression, anxiety, hysteria, resulting in constant drama between family dynamics, ends up in unhealthy codependent relationships with their sons. Since the mother does not know she can honor herself, she is always looking for that validation from others. And since the husbands are not emotionally available, they raise their sons to be their validation. For these women, their daughters-in-law become a threat, and a dynamic of a toxic in-law relationship ensues. All of this becomes an intergenerational pattern due to generational trauma. This is what we grow up seeing, and this becomes normal for us. Well, actually until now. 
up until this podcast where I ask you to question all of this. Is this what we want for our children? Our daughters to be treated like a doormat and our sons to be emotionally unavailable and ineffective leaders? Why does it have to be self-sacrifice? Why can't it be desired to raise strong children? A woman shapes the future generation. That is why I am such a big proponent of emotional intelligence for women. If you explore your true desires and honor them, that might just be the brick that you take out that brings down the wall of generational trauma. Do not be of the impression that self-sacrifice is the way to make relationships work. When you cultivate healthy, strong relationships from a place of desire, that is a much more sustainable way to raise a generation. That generation will one day be the ummah of strong believers who know how to honor and listen to their own pure desires. These men and women know how to follow their North Star under the guidance of their religion. This will be the ummah of people that cannot be and will not be taken advantage of. An ummah of strong men and women that when they start their own families, hold themselves in high regard and integrity and do not abuse their power. Young men and women, when they go out to contribute to the society and the workplace, they conduct business in the highest self-esteem. Because that is what they saw at home. That is what they saw their mothers do. Their mother respected herself. It all starts with you listening to your desire, that one sentence in your mind, that one thought that leads you to a burning desire. Do not ignore it. I might have given this example before, but I will say it again. A unit of a nation, of a society, of an ummah, of a culture, is a family. The backbone of the family unit is a woman, and a unit of a woman is a thought. Every human creates everything from thought. You paying attention to your thoughts leads to honoring your desires leads to shaping a strong family, leads to a strong ummah, and a society and a beautiful culture of Islam. The religion of Islam does not need modification. The people that follow it do. No single desire is too small. No single thought is inconsequential. I love the responsibility that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Being a caregiver does not mean you disappear as a person, because that will show up in life. It will show its ugly head. I can prove it to you model after model. Suppressing feelings is not feasible. Humans are created as emotional beings. You suppressing your desire is you suppressing this design. It will not last. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides us to listen to our pure and true desires so we can honor them. May Allah turn us away from false desires and may Allah grant us the wisdom to tell the difference. Please, O oh Allah, Help us show up for human beings, our children, our colleagues, acquaintances, families, as you intended for us, from a place of abundance, acceptance, love, and desire, and not from a place of scarcity, judgment, resentment, and hate. Please, Allah, protect us from the evil of carnal desires. You say that you made human beings in your light. Please help us keep those qualities in focus. Purify our intentions. Help us love unconditionally and abundantly. I love all of you listeners so very much. I pray you guys find your North Star. And I pray that the language of your desires becomes easy for you. Not like the applied calculus for engineers that was for me. <laughs> it is a journey, so start listening to that voice today. I will talk to you guys next time. Hey, are you thinking about coaching? I invite you to a complimentary consultation with me where I can help you define the solution to your problem. Regardless if you choose to work with me in the Empowered Muslim Women program or not. So you really have nothing to lose. 
Access the appointment link through the show notes, and inshallah, I will see you there.